Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before this episode of the Final Word podcast, a quick thank you to the Final Word sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing. This week, it's all about the lager. Brick Lane Lager is a true premium lager featuring a unique cross-flow filtration that allows the quality ingredients to express themselves fully. Can you see where I'm going with this? It's just like the Final Word. Quality hosts, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, with their unique flow that allows them to fully express themselves twice a week. Anyway, make sure you join Adam and Jeff on the Final Word Patreon page. If you support the show, you could win a slab of Brick Lane goodness. Adam and Jeff will tell you more about it in the show. Head to Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Tell them the Final Word sent you. And remember, you can find everything Final Word related at FinalWordCricket.com. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the Final Word, and thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the Final Word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you It's a final word story time, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is the thing that we do on the weekend for the show. Uh, it's a heatwave in London. It's the uh, middle of winter in Melbourne. Lockdown, where Jeff is. New backdrop, as we said last week, now that you've left the, the Swedish sauna and you've moved into your new house. So you look like you're enjoying yourself there on a, on a different, different room to what I saw the other day on, on Zoom screen. I like to spice things up, Adam. I like to keep things uh, keep things fresh between you and I. You know, sometimes a change of location is is as good as a holiday. Um, <laughs> there's all kinds of places I could go with that, but I'm not going to. No, don't. I, I've got an update for you, actually. Just 200 metres from where I am right now, where Winifred's at um, nursery. She, mm-hmm. I think, might have taken her first steps at nursery uh, rather than at home. Rude. Um, she, uh, yeah, I know, right? So the last couple of days, she's taken a leap, as they say, in baby parlance and, um, and has been able to not only walk holding both of our hands but walk holding one of our hands and the nursery wow. do this cool thing where there's an app where they just send photos all day of her doing her thing and there are multiple photos that give the distinct impression that she's walking so mm. um, that's quite exciting when we finish recording today I'm picking her up from nursery and, and we'll see we'll, uh, we'll put her to the test if she can't walk in front of me and only can walk in front of who she spends a day with at nursery mm-hmm. then I'll be mightily pissed off but we'll see how we go are you going to take away her driver's license if she can't walk <laughs> in a straight line <laughs> yes now, in some respects, I, I've quite enjoyed the fact that she's taken a fraction longer to walk than other babies that are her age. Um, pretty much everyone in the antenatal group is walking but Winnie. So it's been nice to kind of be able to, you know, carry her around everywhere um, for a few more months. And look, we probably will continue to do that. But yes, she's ready for the next step, so to speak. 
but also as a cricket hipster yourself, that's kind of hipsterish from Winnie to be like, look, everyone else is walking. You know, why should I be walking? Why, why can't yeah, I be doing my own thing? Yeah, that's right. I don't walk. I, I, I go when the umpire tells me to go. Uh, what's this walking <laughs> bullshit? That's her attitude. The Ricky Ponting of babies. <laughs> you've had a uh, you, you've had a busy day as well, Jeff. You've been uh, yep. you've been jabbed. Yeah, got the uh, got the AZ. Thought you know, bugger it. Um, why not? Sick of waiting around. You know, I may be young. I may be proud to say that I'm under forty still <laughs> for a little while. But um, there's been a lot of waiting in Australia. So my doctor was very uh, satirical about it, about the different health advice that they've had to keep factoring in day after day after day. <laughs> but I'm on team team AZ. When we get the vaccine game up and running, there was some speculation that team AstraZeneca would struggle for youth. While I would like to reassure you that there are a couple of uh, couple of youngsters with me in the crowd and some fresh blood. Yeah, there is. So, I mean, this is what we talked about last week, isn't it? That we had the suggestion that um, that, that bobbed up on Twitter that we should have a, a game at the end of the season, maybe at London Fields, between the different um, vaccine strands. So we'd have a Pfizer team against an AstraZeneca team, uh, maybe a Moderna team as well, a bit of a finals day atmosphere. Daniel Price uh, wrote to me during the week and said that he's Team AZ, despite the fact that he's only 20 years old. The team could do with some youth in what I expect will be the over 40 rule, <laughs> but I've got to get to Hackney. I like that. Got to get to Hackney. Uh, keep yep. up the good work. And uh, Dom Philp, who who might just appear in the show later on, mm-hmm. uh, says that he was listening uh, to Storytime last week and hearing about the vaccine game at London Fields and sounds right up his alley. I don't play much anymore, but I'd love to put my double vaccinated hand up to score for the mighty AZs, AZs, AZs. Please consider this my Mm. formal application. Dom's been scoring at Winchmore Hill Cricket Club uh, in recent times. Of course, Jeff, you met Dom through my phone screen at Edgbaston a couple of months ago. Dom Mm -hmm. uh, yelled over the boundary line when we were filming our uh, final word daily during the England-New Zealand test match. So um, another Australian living in London. So yeah, let's hope that all uh, comes together. And Jeff, if you're over here later in the summer, unlikely as it is uh, with the current travel ban, uh, you can uh, take your place in the AstraZeneca 11. Yeah, I would be I'd proudly be there. I think it's a team with a reputation for thoroughness, everything from A to Z. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to think we can, you know, take down those cocky Pfizer's and whatnot with a ooh, our vaccine has to be kept at minus a million degrees. <laughs> ooh, we don't have to wait for 12 weeks. Whatever. Good things come to those who wait. I feel a bit sorry for the hardworking medical professionals and, you know, scientists that made the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, mm. how they've, you know, really been – it's been drilled into us that that's the shit one comparatively. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not, but the way that the public messaging's been, the sort of idea that you can go vaccine shopping per the Australian government's mm. nebulous advice a couple of months ago. So now if you are Pfizer, it's like you're the gold standard, which – was us, Rachel and I got, yep. got the Pfizer because that's what we were given. We wouldn't have had a choice in the matter. Had we rocked up and it had it been AZ, AZ, we would have, that would have been that. But um, yep. yeah, anyway, it's, it's part of the uh, vaccine politics and we're going to play our part in that by holding a cricket game to do with it. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as, as my doctor said today, it's very good. It's a very good medicine. It's a very good medicine. Uh, it, it does its job. 
As you ran in, ran into Dom at the cricket, uh, I'd also like to send a shout-out to Alex, who I met at the footy a few weeks ago at the Super Spreader game, uh, the Geelong-Carlton game, where that ended up with several thousand members being locked down. Alex and I were in the lower tier, but, yeah, I was just I was just sitting there watching the game and I think I was watching Asava Radigalia having a shot for goal and I just sort of remarked to the guy behind me, as you do, you know, this is, this is the bit I'm less confident about. And he goes, ah... Oh, are you Jeff? Do you do this podcast? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I was just listening to it last night. So at, at a at a Cats game wearing a Vicks cricket beanie um, top areas from Alex. Hello. Perfect. G'day, Alex. Uh, before we um, move on from uh, talking amongst ourselves, we can do an awful lot more talking amongst ourselves via mm. our new Discord channel. Now, we dropped this into the patron notes uh, after the weekly app with Claire Connor. Thanks for mm-hmm. the kind comments around that interview. That we have now joined Discord. Um, we, we took a long time to get on Facebook and Instagram, and now we've taken it to the next level. Discord, mm-hmm. if you're not aware, is a chat room, it's a message board, all rolled into one, uh, and it's a bit of a private members club in there. If you're a, a supporter of ours on Patreon, it's a new little value add uh, that you can continue your final word discussions in that platform. It's extremely easy to set up if you're already a patron. It's just a case of downloading Discord, which, well, not even downloading, setting up a Discord account in your browser, uh, and then you'll be able to go on your Patreon page and say that you want the two things to talk to each other. That's all pretty straightforward and then you can join Jeff and myself and everybody else who's already clicked that button and we can talk about the cricket that's going to be played this summer it's not that complicated it's going to be a lot of fun we're popping out a mini app on Monday with a little bit of information about that with Anna Forsyth who is a discord veteran so if you want more info uh, stay tuned for that Yes, consider this the soft launch between times. One other uh, bit of news before we get into the new numbers and Nerd Pledge and all the rest of it, just to note uh, that John Woodcock uh, passed away uh, on Sunday, aged 94. He was the sort of legendary storyteller at the Times, all the way through from the early 50s through till uh, the late 80s. He was sort of an old-fashioned match reporter in that English tradition, uh, if you like, sort of capturing the details in that in that way that we've become accustomed to over here with uh, cricket journalism. Uh, he edited Six Wisdoms uh, in the 80s. He was uh, the president of the Cricket Writers Club uh, between 1986 and 2004, so a massive stretch. He went to his first Lord's Test match uh, back in 1936, and his first tour of Australia was 1950-51, where he ended up swanning about, if you like, with E.W. Swanton. He became a pal of Cardis. Uh, there's a lovely piece with Mike Atherton from when he turned 90 back in, in 2016, which gives a sense of how involved Woodcock was with so many players and administrators back in a far more simple era when exchanges, the lives that you led, uh, well, if you went on tour, you were going on tour with the players. You weren't kind of penned away from them and, and so on. So he had these wonderful experiences in somewhat of a glory era of journalism. He said that the, the innings he would love to go back to, this was in the Atherton piece, is Cowdery's first century from 1954 at the MCG, which we were talking about, Jeff, what, six weeks ago maybe on Storytime. So there was mm-hmm. that nice thread that I saw there. And you'll like this as well. In 1976 with Henry Blofeld, he drove to India for the Indian tour in a 1921 Rolls Royce. So he was <laughs> a member of the aristocracy in that respect, I suppose, <laughs> having the ability to do such a thing, uh, which is fairly indulgent. But what, what an amazing adventure. It as in drove from England to India. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they how they. I mean, yeah, and it's 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 it's, a, it's an astonishing long way to go. But it's a, that, it's a trek. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's no it's no Melbourne to 
Brisbane, but you know, <laughs> um, yeah, England to India. So you'd have to okay, you'd go through the continent, and then you'd have to go through the Middle East, I suppose. Um, I guess and, so, yeah, and up over through Afghanistan or Pakistan, Pakistan um, I through through, a, through Iran and Iran to Pakistan yep. to. Yeah, and, and and come in the west uh, border of India that way. Extraordinary. Takes some doing. Uh, Mike Selby, our old colleague from The Guardian, and these days the, the president of the Cricket Writers Club, uh, described Woodcock as the finest of all cricket writers, the doyen, the godfather. Um, you wanted context, he could provide it because he'd seen so much. A life well lived. Uh, and I think that's a, a nice place to leave that. But yes, a true giant of cricket writing. Uh, died this week, age 94, John Woodcock. Valet. Uh, well... In honour, in a way, let's uh, delve into the distant past and maybe the not-so-distant past of cricket history. Some new numbers off the top to get us going as we investigate via the means of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge, Nerd Pledge, the game that we play with people on the patron page. So this gets a bit complicated. How did this become a cricket history show? Well, people started sending us numbers. (laughs) And they started sending us uh, numbers in the form of financial contributions to say, you make a podcast twice a week, we'd like you to be able to take time to spend on it. Here's an amount of money to be able to do that. And we're very grateful for that. And people started not sending normal round amounts, but specific amounts that related to cricket in some way. For instance, first new name on our show today, a familiar name to listeners of the program, Tim Vanderpump, party liaison who was sent through a generous pledge of 11 euros and 15 euro cents. Uh, that cosmopolitan euro style. So 11.15 is the number, 11.15. But it, it could be, that decimal point could move. There might not be a decimal point. We might be talking about 111.5. We might be talking about uh, 1.115. But in some way that number relates to cricket. And we've got to work out what the connection is is for Tim. So Adam, you started. Uh, what did you make of 11.15? Yep. Uh, Tim loves to party. Tim loves uh, Tim loves to party. Uh, mm. I had a look initially at first class figures. I wondered whether there might be an 11.15 somewhere there in terms of match figures, but there wasn't. However, mm. there was an 11 for 14 and that got, that got me um, digging around and I thought I'd quickly uh, give you a summary of that because it, okay. it's not, it's only recent only a couple of years ago the sri lankan navy sports club were all out for 36 and then 62 mm. we, we've talked a lot about sri lankan first class cricket and the vagaries <laughs> of it well this is an example right here we've talked um, a lot about the sri lankan navy sports club <laughs> yes <In> the navy <laughs> sports club you can <laughs> uh for broomfield cricket and athletic club uh, Gayan Sirisoma, uh, who bowled left arm orthodox, or bowls left arm orthodox, presumably. He's, it was only a couple of years ago. Mm. He took six for two from 7.5 overs in the first innings. Yeah, and five for 12 from 13 in the second. So that makes 11 for 14 from 20.5 of the best. Get out of it, Gayan. You can't do that. But yes, uh, got to love uh, Sri Lankan first class cricket. And I should say that we will have more to discuss around Sri Lankan cricket. And mm-hmm. next week on the weekly show, there's a bit of a teaser for you. Okay, okay. So that was your, as in, you wanted to talk about that because it wasn't quite right, but it felt too good to not talk about. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping there'd be an eleven for fifteen, mm-hmm. and there wasn't, and there was an interesting eleven for fourteen. And that's as far mm-hmm. as I got at that point. Mm-hmm. I said, "All yours, Jeff." 
Okay. Yeah, I like that um, because sometimes I like to bring in numbers that aren't quite there either. I did think, it, you know, it could have been a, a almost a cheeky reference to your work on SEN, 1116 SEN. Um, <laughs> maybe 1115 is when you're counting down to SEN going, all right, 1113, 1114, 1115. <laughs> Happy New Year. 1115, though. I, I, was, I was casting around for, for sort of... Um, you know, ways that this could work. 11, 1, 5. Uh, 110.5 is mm. what that would be in terms of an average. So one thing I did find is that Sachin Tendulkar in Australia in 97, 98 averaged 111.5 for the series when he made those 200s <laughs> and a 50 in 97, 98, which you would remember, I assume. So you're talking about the test tour Australia made yeah. of, of India yeah, in early 98. Yeah, that feels right. The Bangalore ton would have been in, in that one? Yeah, so he made – well, yeah, the, the Bangalore ton was in a losing effort in the end. That was the Michael Kaspervitz test match. But it was the it's the Calcutta century yeah. uh, when he and Azra Din uh, both post three figures when it's just like out of this world, brilliant uh, from Tendulkar. Just when he was starting that you know intense rivalry with Shane Warne when Warren's shoulder, it wasn't going quite yet, but Warren was still very good uh, mm. in that series. But yeah, Tendulkar, the first time they'd faced off in India in Test cricket, yeah, it was a memorable occasion. But uh, considering that we were starting with Euros for the party liaison, I thought uh, England's still part of Europe um, as far as many people are concerned and not as far as others, others are concerned. <laughs> but 1115, 1115 is the number of runs that Andrew Flintoff made for England in his most prolific year. He had some pretty skinny years with the bat. But in 2004, across formats, the two formats that they played at the time, he made 1,115 runs, uh, 16 matches, four centuries. Three of them were in one-day cricket. But it also included his what, what would end up being his test best score of 167 against West Indies at Edgebaston. And uh, I... I find that year interesting as it's it's that sort of sense of him as this dominant force with the bat that he's he's growing in stature you know he's coming for you and that kind of results in in 2005 when he is so dominant when he makes 402 runs in, in that Ashes series it's it's almost off the back of that previous year where there was the confidence that Flintoff could do it with the bat regularly that they could bat him at six without worrying about that being a spot too high and and he did come off enough times in that 05 Ashes to, to make a difference with the bat so I thought that might be what Tim Vanderpump's thinking of the uh, the greatest year with the cue of Andrew Flintoff. Excellent. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Tim Vanderpump, getting us moving today on Storytime with 11.15. Dom Philp, already brought him up once when talking about the AZ Pfizer game. Uh, mm-hmm. He's in with a number as well. 298. Didn't come with a clue. However, as soon as I saw it, I thought, this is a scorecard, potentially... Uh, related to a scorecard I was looking at just last week uh, on the show. So uh, mm-hmm. the other 298s that, that it might have been, well, Daryl Mitchell's 298 for Worcestershire against Somerset uh, in 2009 when he was bowled by Peter Trigo, so two veterans of the circuit. But remember last week we had sort of two themes running through uh, our, our Nerd Pledge numbers. One, well, New Zealand one-day internationals in Australia, mm-hmm. and the other being 
neutral one day as played in the old tri series. Oh yeah, uh, we had we had a couple of numbers that related to both, and I thought this is the sweet spot again. It's ninety seven, ninety eight. I hope <laughs> where South Africa uh, played New Zealand, they played two absolute belting games that were resolved by about three or four runs uh, on either occasion. And one of those was a game that was described as one of the best one-day internationals of the era. And I reckon it was. I watched it live at the time as a kid. It was a Friday night from the Gabba. Mm -hmm. And South Africa started off by making 300 for six in the afternoon session. Um, Gary Kirsten made a century, 103 from 113 at the top of the list. And then Hansi made 55, bashing it round at the end. And, and, you know, 300, Jeff, in 97, $55 or 55 runs? Yeah, would you like a bet on it? Uh, 300 for six was a, was a pretty big score in that era. Mm. And then New Zealand are in strife, uh, much as they were at the WACA when we were talking about Jacob Orham last week, at 124 for six in the 31st over. And then Chris Cairns, in keeping with your theme, went nuts. 64 <laughs> um, from 54 balls. Adam Perore uh, took it a step further on his first tour of Australia, that must have been, uh, making 67 from 48. And they get it to the last over. They get it deep. New Zealand needs seven off two balls with two wickets in hand. Sean Pollock's bowling the last over. He's in at Dion Nash. Seven from two. So seven from two. Okay, right. Seven from two is what they need from here to win the game. And then Dion Nash plays the most immaculate lap sweep off Sean Pollock well before this was a thing. Mm-hmm. Well before this was de rigueur. He's all the way across his stumps on the turf picking it up expertly, and it's going all the way, isn't it? Tony Gregg, losing his mind. It's gone all the way for six. It's gone all the way. I think it's gone all the way. Maybe it's gone all the way. And then Ian Smith over the top says, I think it's hit the rope. They take a look, and it has hit the rope. Yeah, here's the thing. It was only four then. This was the era, and I wish to learn more about this. This was when rope on the full was four. And there's oh. one other bit to this, which is why I remember this so distinctly and uh-huh. why it's a memory of mine. At this particular part of the Gabba, uh-huh. it's where the two ropes crossed over. So for about the, the 15 metres of the boundary, the two yeah. ropes crossed over each other, which okay. meant that that particular boundary had double the thickness of rope. Double rope. And the ball, and the ball hit the back rope. So oh. had there been one piece of rope... Rather than two, at that particular juncture, down at deep fine leg, at six runs, New Zealand have pulled level. They have one to win from the last ball. Instead, it's only four, and they have to hit three runs off the last ball to win. Now, it's Nash on strike still, because he hit, hit the boundary, yeah. and, he, and he goes across his stumps again and high into the night sky in Brisbane. Did he, goes try, to, shot. Did he try to scoop again, or did he? No, I wish he slap. did. I wish it was a conventional slap. Okay. Across the line, slapping. Was it a length ball that he could have scooped? Like, could he have just gone again? No, it, it was short of a length. It was probably okay. the right shot, and he got plenty of it, yeah. and then herring around from deep square. Okay. I mean, I'm talking sort of. Sub 10, 100-metre pace yeah, is yeah. Lance Klusner. Ben Klusner's. Johnson pace. Ben Johnson is Lance Klusner absolutely bolting around yeah. and takes the catch about five yards inside the rope. In the end, he had to um, – he got there quite early and he had to wait, not underneath it, but he had to time his last step and he did it perfectly and they go bananas. This is when South Africa were wearing the, the red and green strip that they mm-hmm. um, wore in that, in that series. We never saw that again. But New Zealand all at four – 298, and they fall 
two runs short with uh, Nash falling from the final delivery of the 50th over. Nash and Vittori, who's the non-striker, absolutely gutted. But the Gabba give them a standing ovation. They all stand up and mm. they give them a standing ovation on the way off, off the way off the ground. Wow. Um, Greg and, and, and Ian Smith declare it as one of the all-time great one-day internationals because, of course, you know, they're so far behind. They've got, you know, what 19 is- overs to go and they're 124 for six. I mean, they're, they're miles behind No one chases 300 the in those days. No, well, even there though, I mean, they've still got 177 yeah. runs to collect in seven in 19 overs. They're, yeah. they're, you know, that, that's like, a, even we, even in today's money, that's hard to do. Yeah, but even just chasing 300, like making 300, is really hard. Seeing it made yeah. twice in the same game is is you know almost you'd almost never see that. Absolutely. So it was enough to get South Africa into the final series against Australia, and they won the first game too. Actually, I remember this. They defended two forty one mm. at the MCG. I was across the road at the tennis two forty one cricket and the, and the tennis two forty one, and, and Australia ended up cruising it uh, in the second final with Gilchrist making. I think it was his first hundred for Australia, if I recall correctly, and then Paul Rifle uh, dominated the third. Um, mm. But uh, I think if we've proven anything, Jeff, in story time in the last two weeks, is that we should bring back the bloody tri series. Bring back the tri series. Bring back the Tri-Series. Yeah. I appreciate that one-day cricket in Australia now, given where it's sort of positioned at the end of the summer, after the test cricket's all done, feels a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show. But if you mm-hmm. were to introduce a third team into the mix in a Tri-Series that could be played over the course of two or three weeks, I reckon that would really add to it. And, and you could include World Cup Super League points too, couldn't you? Yeah. I mean, there, there are ways of doing this. And I like the, the use of Tri-Series with... Um, T20 cricket, that one I intended a couple of years ago in yeah. Zimbabwe, worked really nicely. So, yeah, it's a reminder that these these neutral games, they, they live long in the memory. This was a belter. Yep, it was a New Zealand-South Africa game in 2001, maybe, where um, I got, got Alan Donald to sign my cricket ball. You know, good, good time. <laughs> weren't, you, weren't you a bit old for that in 2001, yes. honestly? Yeah. Yeah, probably. But you know, whatever. I don't care. I had no pride. I was like, you weren't wearing a you weren't wearing a flag cape, were you? No, I wasn't. Uh, but I did have a very nice, shiny new cricket ball, and I was like, I could use this and ruin it, or I could get the white lightning to sign it and have a really nice cricket ball with uh, w- with his scroll on it, which I still have. Um, so, so there you go. It's in my. My growing collection of souvenir cricket balls. I enjoyed that, Adam. That was a you took me on a on a ride there. That story was was quite the ride for a game that I did not remember at all. And and like I remember the next day as well. The next day, what I did was forty two degrees. The next day, it was so hot that junior cricket was called off uh, in Melbourne. This is. And I sat out there uh, with our third 11 and scored for the whole, it must have been 80 overs, watching Endeavour Hills plunder about 400 for two across the 80 overs. So it's one of those weekends. I don't know. I mean, you shouldn't remember scoring all day as a 13, 14-year-old, but, you know, I do. I thought you were going to say you spent all day out there practising a ramp shot, like trying to to copy (laughs) Dion Nash, and I wish you had. And I also think that the phrase, like, hit the back rope could be... It could be a really useful one for something where you've where you've been dudded, where you've just missed out by, you know, a pretty unfair margin. You go, oh, unlucky. Hit the back rope on that one. Hit the back rope. I like we'll it. We'll see. We'll, we'll try and we'll, we'll use it in our vaccine game. Uh, Jeff, thank you, Dom Phil. Next up is Will Cuxon, a pal of ours on social media. 262, and he comes with a clue. This refers to an event, says Will, that I had the privilege of watching on my birthday. On his birthday, Will Cuxon. On his birthday. Which is in early January, and while the number itself is key to the achievement, uh, it's not often discussed when referring to the achievement. So, 262 
early January, that suggested to me Sydney Test, uh, most likely, given it's largely been there during Will's lifetime, I would imagine. I did find three innings at the SCG that lasted for 262 balls, um, one of which included, speaking about South Africa and memorable tours, Michael Slater making 92 in the famous slash infamous South Africa test, the Fani de Villiers test, when he made 92 off 262, where I thought maybe the ball's face is is notable because Slater was known as a dasher and instead he dug in in that innings. Um, also, coincidentally, another one was made by Hansi Kronje, uh, <laughs> 262 balls, uh, $262. On that, Kale Rahul did it in 2015, but that's as far as I got with this. I handballed this one to you. Yeah, and um, look, I, I I know that Will's from Wollongong, Will lives in Wollongong, so thus I sort of came to the same conclusion. This is almost certainly a, a Sydney Test match. Now, I'm not sure whether this whether Will's old enough to have been there in 1989 at the Sydney Test match, but for the purpose of the mm. hypothetical... I reckon I'm he would have been about three, judging by his was. profile photo. <laughs> that's what I think too, but this yeah. is I'm going to go with it anyway. Look, I remember I, I, I was there at the 1987 preliminary final. I mean, yeah, I was I there and you I was three, and you I remember, remember it. I mean, yep. I was in the car park when Gary Bacchanara kicked the goal after I know. the siren. Because your dad wanted to leave early because he wanted <gasps> to beat the traffic. <laughs> you've, you've relayed that to me with pain in your voice a number of times. He, he's a, probably he's probably listening to this, Dad, and I'm sorry. It's not like it's a thing. Like It's not like a major thing in our relationship, <laughs> but it is a memorable moment in my there's, childhood. There's a line from the uh, the great Australian poet Adam Gibson who, who writes some beautiful sort of performance pieces where he, he just tells you stories of Australia in this kind of voice, but there's a line in one of his poems where he just says again and again for a couple of minutes, he goes, I remember everything. I remember everything. I remember everything. That's that's that what I think be. of when you tell me about Gary Bacchanara <laughs> in 1987 when you were three years old. There was this great segment on radio today where Bruce McEvaney was talking to Jared about their first Olympic moments. What is your first Olympic moment, Jeff? What, what's the first moment you remember from when you were... That it, I remember. Have you got 88, um, 88 probably? Some stuff from no, I, I don't think I watched anything in, in 88, which is a shame because I wish I had watched the juice race. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was reading up about that, the dirtiest race ever. So eight out of the eight finalists... Five of them got pinged for positive drug tests during their careers and one of them got banned as a coach for doping all of his <laughs> um, all of his uh, charges. That, was so published by, that, of, that book was published by Wisdom, by the way. Was it? It was. Yeah. So six out of eight, to have six out of eight firmly linked to the juice, to have um, good old, you know, Carl Lewis hopping into Ben Johnson after the game before it's later revealed that he had three positive tests himself that got covered up. I mean, good times. Uh, I I think Carl Lewis was only on the pseudo-F. He was on the pseudo-feds, which wasn't quite the same as being on the Hulk out um, roids like Ben Johnson, but yeah, it does It does bring you closer to the George Carlin position of just let them take whatever they want and see how fast they can get. Like, let's find out. The problem is Rocket there, boots. Yeah, the problem there is you get into a WWF or WWE situation where they, yeah. they don't live as long as they perhaps should. So there's an ethical issue mm. with living them brought up. I remember 88. Hey, live fast and die young. That's how the phrase goes. <laughs> I remember a few things from 88. I remember, I mean, this is, again, I was such a little boy, but, mm. you, you know, at the grand final uh, of 88, so Hawthorne beat Melbourne. I wasn't there. We watched it at yep. home. But it just happened to be that at half time of the grand final was the men's 100 metres final. 
So um, they showed it on the big screen apparently at the MCG uh, that mm-hmm. afternoon. I'm not sure whether it was on tape delay, but they definitely showed it on the big screen at the G when, yep. when Johnson ran his 979. So you watched the first half of the race and then your dad left to beat the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see <laughs> I also remember watching Debbie Flintoff King, or it would have been Debbie Flintoff then, mm-hmm. uh, win the 400 hurdles with my mum. And I remember yep. Duncan Armstrong uh, winning the winning the 200 free. Yep. But yes, anyway, Olympic starts tomorrow. I, I remember my first is Barcelona. I remember them lighting the cauldron with the bow and arrow, oh, yes. um, which was, I mean, which was fucking sick. Yes, honestly. it really was. <laughs> um, remember they had the backup. They had like, didn't they have like 10 arrows just in case or something like that? He, he, he only had two. two um, right. I was reading up on this because I, I was putting some info about it in a, a piece for The Guardian the other day because in my memory he used a crossbow. I don't know why, but my like child's mind was like, yes, that's a crossbow, and it wasn't because I watched it back and it's definitely a bow and arrow. But the archer was from Madrid and the games were in Barcelona, which is very parochially mm. Catalan, and they were really shitty that the best archer that they could get was from Madrid. But they'd used something like 200 different archers in trials over the course of like two years leading up to the opening ceremony. And they were like basically ranking them on accuracy percentage, how many times they muffed the shot. And this guy missed two shots out of several hundred attempts and was consistently the best. And they kept going, oh, God, we're going to have to use the Madrid guy. And so but he kept being the best. And then at some point the, the Catalan officials were like, hey, can you just um, teach a couple of our guys how you shoot that arrow? And he was like, screw you, I'm going back to Madrid. And he left and then they had to come begging him to come back because they didn't want to take the chance. So he had two arrows. He had one as a backup um, in case he missed and then there was an automatic ignition button that would have lit it anyway if he'd missed the second one. But he negotiated that he got a second shot, but he didn't need it. Didn't imagine, imagine, he, imagine he stuffs up the second one and they have to put it on the auto, oh. the audio ignition. I mean, he would go down in infamy, wouldn't he? Yeah. Imagine that those Olympics are on, say, Network Seven now, and BT's commentating the opening ceremony, and he goes <laughs> straight through the eye diddle diddle when, 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 Oh, don't don't even don't even flag. I mean, he's probably on the Olympic coverage, you know. Don't even sort of. Uh, don't say things you can't take back. They might come true. I'm feeling Olympic, but I'm also yeah. feeling the need to to, uh, to solve Will Cuxon's clue. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yes, if, if he had have been at the SCG in 1989 as a little boy, he would have seen Alan Border take 11 wickets. Hmm. He will have seen him take seven for 46 the first time around and four for 50 in the second, a famous victory for Australia against the West Indies. Yes, a bit of a dead rubber, but one that they built from. One they built from, of course, they go on and win in England later in the year and, and the, the entire trajectory of that. Alan Border team changes from there. However, so the clue here uh, reads that mm-hmm. key to the achievement to which it refers, but is not often discussed when referring to the achievement. So if the achievement is Australia beating the West Indies and Alan Border, almost everybody's talking about his 11 wickets with his left arm spin. Yep. They're probably not talking about the 262 delivery half century that he made, which is mm-hmm. the fifth slowest half century of all time. And for good reason that they're not talking about that. <laughs> Why would they? But it is instrumental to the victory. Let me explain. Uh-huh. So first time around, uh, West Indies are bowled out for 224. And then when Border comes in at 114 for three, that game's in the balance. They're 110 behind. They've been rolled by the Windies in Melbourne the previous week. I mean, you know, it's the kind of, 
it's the kind of position where Australia could easily be all out 160, 170, and then, you know, the aberration that is the Windies mm-hmm. being bowled out by a part-time spinner. They recover from that. They bat big in the third innings and, and Australia lose. But Border was not going to risk that. He put on 170 painstaking runs with David Clarence Boone. They batted for a day together for 170 and change to make sure they had a lead by the time that their partnership was broken up uh, when Border eventually falls for, for 75 from 330 deliveries across 386 minutes. Talk about not giving an inch. Booney finished with 149 from 425 balls. That's, that's Dom Sibley energy. But Will's clue, a rarely discussed component of the Alan Border part that week was his 262 ball half century I mean remembering that um, there were a couple mm-hmm. of 50s from Chiteshwa Bajara uh, earlier this year which we marvelled over which were about 170 180 balls well this is even you know, this is another five or six yeah. overs on top of that to put it in some kind of historical perspective and then yeah Border in the second innings finishes the job if you're wondering what the slowest 50 was in test cricket a lot of people would know this it's a pretty common trivia question but Trevor the Barnacle Bailey uh, faced 350 balls for 50 uh, at Brisbane uh, in the first test match in 1958 mm-hmm. 59. But yes, Alan Border in the top five. And I reckon that might be what Will's referring to. That's very good. That's a very good guess. Uh, Trevor Barnacle Bailey, did he, though, like Pajara, make a really slow 50 and also have a point where he scored eight runs in two balls? Because um, there was that, <laughs> that 50 right. where he just carved a couple through the cover at one point and then, then went back to blocking. That's a very, very good guess, Adam. I like it, the 262 for Wilcoxon. The other bit with Trevor Bailey is that uh, I, I had a conversation with Coney a, a couple of weeks ago when doing the, uh, the mm-hmm. Edge Baston test with him. And Coney, I was asking him a few questions for a column I was writing about his affinity with England, and he started by saying, mm-hmm. well, yes, I had a book when I was a child about English cricket and Trevor Bailey was on the cover playing a forward <laughs> defensive. <laughs> so whenever I now think of Bailey, I'll now think of Coney uh, in, in the next breath. Uh, um, As I, I should. <laughs> Coney should have a show. It, called, just, it should be called Coney Island um, <laughs> and it should just be Coney getting... Whoever he wants to talk to, to go, like he should have a podcast that's just let Coney go for two and a half hours, you know, kind of like, what's the name of Dan Carlin, the, the, the history guy? Yeah, hardcore that kind history, of thing. yeah. Yeah, but, but instead of um, the formation of the USSR, it's just Coney talking about Nottinghamshire for three and a half hours. Or, you know. I'd subscribe. I'd pay money for that. Po- I'd be a patron of that podcast at the highest tier. And speaking of patron, uh, Will Cuxon, of course, is a, is a patron of ours, as is everyone on Storytime. And we pull out two of them from a hat each week to win a slab of Brick Lane, Jeff. Uh, Will has been picked out of the hat uh, and he has a slab of beer potentially coming his way or to somebody else of his choosing. Yeah, so you get to give someone a case of beer and that could be you and it could be someone else. Uh, You get to give them a case of loving you, potentially, if uh, they like the beer enough. Brick Lane. The lager uh, this week is the one that's heading out to Will Cuxon. Uh, we've been enjoying the work of Brick Lane. Well, I have. They've sent me some samples um, and I have tried the lager. Easy, easy drinking kind of thing. Four and a half percent, taking it pretty easy. All malt, Adam. Smooth bitterness. Clean, crisp finish. Working on my FM radio stylings. Uh, yeah, and, and Will, that'll, that'll get sent. Uh, the ability to get that will 
that's between you and Brick Lane, but they'll work it out with you by email and then you can either forward it on to someone or redeem it yourself. Indulge me by saying a little bit more about this beer. It's a true premium lager. Our unique cross-flow filtration allows the quality ingredients to express themselves fully to give a clean, crisp beer. The all-malt body and classic smooth hot bitterness delivers a perfectly balanced beer. That, Mm. I mean, it's... 20 past four in the afternoon where I am right now, it's about 30 degrees outside in a city that Mm -hmm. doesn't do well in the summer. I desperately Mm -hmm. want a Brick Lane lager. (laughs) The fact that I'm in the UK means I'll have to wait till later in the year when I'm in Australia for the ashes. But no, if you like what Brick Lane are doing, uh, we love being associated with them. Uh, Follow them on social media. All of their handles are in our show notes and uh, hopefully you're able to enjoy a Brick Lane or two over the weekend. I like to think that I've been working on an all malt body of my own over the last few years. (laughs) <laughs> you know, low percentage helps with that a little bit. A last new number coming in from Ehite Ekramal Huck, $1.43. Now, I'm going to take a guess here that Ehite sounds like a name that's coming from Bangladesh. That's my guess. That's my vibe. Um, and so I've made that suggestion to Adam and uh, he's taken a run at this one. Yeah, I agree. It feels like a, a name of Bangladeshi extraction, which means I ruled out a dusty old bastard here, which would have been Arnold Warren. By the way, Arnold Warren played one test match for England, took a Pfeiffer, got Trumper out twice, and was never picked again. Oh, what a sport! I mean, that's what, and, and that's by the way, and, and, he, and he did a bit more than that too. I should say he was too old to sign up for World War One. He was over, was it forty, wasn't it? When you weren't allowed to sign the, up, yeah, forty-two, maybe forty-two. Something but like but that. he lied about his age and snuck in anyway, got shot, mm. survived, and lived until 1951. So a full life for, for, for someone who probably would have made quite a good dusty old bastard. But, hey, he's not Bangladeshi, so he doesn't get a start. In Ricky Ponting's 100th test match, uh, he made an unbeaten 143 when they were chasing, mm-hmm. was it about 330-odd on the final day, which meant that he became the first test batsman to strike twin centuries in their 100th test match, which is quite the achievement. In terms of Bangladesh, the first thing I thought of was, did they bowl out Pakistan for 143 when uh, when they knocked Mm. them off at Wantage Road in the 1999 World Cup? But that wasn't quite right. That was 161. Um, You know, you look through it, they've never bowled out a team for 143. No Bangladeshi man has ever made 143 in international cricket. I looked at that too, and that's fascinating because there are three 144s and a 145 and a 146, but no 143. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm not sure what's not sure. going on there. Then I thought, what about the 14th of March? I'm like, oh, yes, 14th of March, March World Cups. They've got some pretty big World Cup scouts over the years. But it was three days later that they beat India mm. in the 2007 World Cup, of course, because it was St. Patrick's Day, wasn't it? Because Pakistan yeah. were being knocked off by Ireland on the same day that Bangladesh were doing the business over India, a day that really did changed the nature of World Cups for uh, the next generation or so. And four years later, they did beat the Dutch on this day, uh, on the on the 14th yeah. of March 2011. But I don't think that's quite relevant, given that Bangladesh ended up being bundled out of that tournament uh, in the group stage, as opposed to 07, where yeah. they advanced to the second stage. So uh, I'm, I'm going to just leave it there and say that if you've got any one, four, three Bangladesh ideas, we'd love to hear from you uh, from the crowd for next week, where we'll return to Ahite's one uh, one dollar forty three, uh, or if Ahite wants to send a clue through, well, we're all ears. 
Yeah, I mean, which is, it's not to say it has to be a Bangladesh number, um, but that's that's our starting point. That's that's where we're that's where we're working from. I did pick up on the fact that Bangladesh made a hundred and forty three to win a T20 game against Pakistan, a one-off back in the days of the the one-off T20 when Pakistan went to Dhaka in 2015, got held to 141 for five and Bangladesh made that three wickets down. Shakib Al-Hassan, 57 not out, 57 bucks on it, Um, 143 for three. Was that score? I mean, that game didn't seem particularly notable in any other way unless that was, uh, you know, a a game that was close to the heart of the pledger for one reason or another. I'm not sure if that's a likely answer. Story time is a is a conversation, you know. It's dynamic. It goes back and forth. So hop in the DMs and, uh, you know, when we don't get your number the first time around, we do it again. Same goes for any of the previous numbers. If it's not right, hop in the messages and let us know. And if you want to play Nerd Pledge, very easy, patron.com slash the final word. You can sign up. You can feel the warm, glowing feeling of knowing that you're helping us continue to make the show twice a week to do interviews like we did with Claire Connor earlier in the week to do random nonsense like what we're doing right now. And uh, we'll be able to keep doing it with your assistance and you'll be able to be part of the fun. All right, uh, that's our last new number uh, for this weekend. Uh, we're going to take a break, grab a glass of water and return for some revisits, some confirmations and some correspondence. Hi, I'm Brian Ruddle. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It's cricket season in the UK. Uh, it will soon be cricket season again in Australia. Wherever you are, it's either cricket season or it's going to be cricket season, which means it's always a good time to be thinking about getting your next cricket bat, maybe your next set of pads, your next set of gloves, uh, giving yourself something nice to feel confident as you stride out to the middle and walk back later for a hard, grafted and ugly four. Uh, (laughs) You can do that in style. You can do it with Woodstock because this company knows about making cricket bats and tailoring them for the people who use them to make sure that your bat speaks to you and you speak to it and with it and through it. They've won a lot of awards, which doesn't always mean an awful lot. I love the fact that they were voted in the blind bat testing. So, you know, you, when you go through a, a bat testing competition, you don't, you don't know which bat you've got. It went I was one, just two. imagining blind bat testing being like testing whether a bat can see or not, yeah, <laughs> like whether it's been fooling you all along. <laughs> you know, you're like, no, it definitely keeps flying into the wall. We've had a bit of an Olympic theme on, on story time today, mm-hmm. and, and this went one, two. It won the gold and the silver Woodstock uh, mm-hmm. this season in the Good Gear Guide. Good gear guide uh, theme of the conversation. The theme of the Olympics, Olympics as well. As well. <laughs> show jumping. Yeah, get on the show jumping. Get on the get on the show jumping powder. <laughs> now, I want to note a couple of things about Woodstock. <laughs> they put the customer right in the middle of the transaction. These aren't the bats that are sitting on a shelf somewhere. When you go in there, generic sports shop, you know, you charge the retail rate and off you go. Each bat is designed in collaboration with you. You have a consultation with the bat makers there at Woodstock, up there at Knotts. They make sure that you have got the appropriate bat for you. They're not going to price you out of the market. This isn't about trying to extract as much as they possibly can in one transaction. It's about hopefully over a long period of time wanting to keep coming back and buying 
um, some of the best cricket bats in the world. They've got a growing stable uh, of international and domestic stars, including Stephen Finn, friend of the show, Finney, who, of course, plays at Middlesex, and he's playing uh, in the 100, which started last night, but the men's 100 starts uh, this evening. So you see Finney on national television brandishing uh, a Woodstock cricket bat. Mark Adair, who took wickets for Ireland the other day, he has a, a Woodstock. In fact, Mark Adair batted number five for Ireland the other day, didn't he? They moved him up the order. So. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm going to start calling him an all, a Woodstock's all-rounder, Mark Adair. But here's the best bit, 20% discount. And after you've gone through the whole process with them, they'll chuck 20% off in the price bar if you simply put in TFW20 at their website, woodstockcricket.co.uk. That's all in the show notes. You don't need to remember that. But a fifth off uh, on a cricket bat, that's a, that's a fairly sizable discount. And also, they're not the most expensive cricket bats no. to begin with. They're definitely the best. They're definitely the top. Quality-wise, so there's no compromise there. But they try not to absolutely sting you for the highest possible price uh, to begin with. And then you can get 20% off and you can get 20% off any other kit as well, any of their full-price stuff, pads, gloves, bags, clothes, the works, anything on the website. So good deal. Check out what they've got and uh, tell them we sent you. Yeah, and other people who've been associated with the final word have a bit to do with Woodstock as well, like Toby Tarrant, Jeff, who you and I uh, worked with uh, during the 2019 World Cup. I saw Tobes a couple of weeks ago wearing a Woodstock cricket baseball cap. Uh, Daniel Norcross as well, another friend. A cricket baseball cap. A cricket that's, baseball that's cap. A, Isn't that a good idea? Yep. Isn't that a good idea? So, uh, <laughs> yes, lots of people uh, who, who you would have been... Uh, uh, you would have heard from with us on the show. Also have a bit to do with Woodstock Cricket. We're proud to do so here on The Final Word. Woodstockcricket.co.uk. The code is TFW20. Get yourself 20% off one of the best cricket bats you're ever going to use. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Final Word story time. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. First up on our revisits this week is a number that's been sitting in our in-tray for a time. I think the first time uh, we, we had a look at Tim Minchin's 4.11 was the day before uh, the Birmingham Test match about a month and a half ago. A lot's happened in the world since then. And Jeff, yep. you then said it was the average salary of a US cricket coach. I don't know how you mm-hmm. found that out, but you did uh, on ZipRecruiter yep. or something like that. See, podcast ads work. Uh, the first thing I thought of with US and jobs, I thought ZipRecruiter. Anyway, yep. uh, what have you learned from there? Okay, so 411 was the number, but Tim let us know that it actually related to 41162. That's the full That's number. Right. That's right. That's and the yes, salary. 41, yeah, $41,162 US is apparently, according to ZipRecruiter, the average salary of a cricket coach in America. And so before we get to where Tim tried to help me with this clue, let's go to a message from Richard L., who wrote in to say this has nothing to do with cricket, but it does have to do with your comment about commercials that will stay with us for the rest of our lives and milk and the number 411. This is very final word areas, Richard. You, you, you knew your target audience. Richard says, in the 1950s and 60s, the most remembered phone number in Detroit and the rest of southeast Michigan was Texas 411 that was the phone number of the Twin Pines Farm Dairy. <laughs> this was because of the jingle, which played on their ads, and their sponsored children's program, which was called Milky's Party Time. Uh, this couldn't be any more our area's party time. Uh, Tim Vanderpump, party liaison. 
Dimmoth Karuna Ratner's pool party, and now we've got Milky's party time. And the song, I don't know how the tune went, but Richard has given me the lyrics, which went like this, you can have worry-free home delivery call Twin Pines, Texas, 41100. Why it said Texas when they were in Michigan, I don't know. That's America for you. It's a fucking confusing joint. Richard goes on to say, the cool thing for me is that my dad wrote the lyric. Imagine that. Imagine Imagine the swag power of that at school. Yeah, what's your dad do? Wrote the song about Twin Pines Dairy. Yeah, how do you like them apples? My dad wrote a song once, which I think might be relevant to a conversation we're having earlier mm-hmm. in the show. This is a bit of a corrector record for having bagged him earlier. Remember a couple of years ago when the GWS Giants made the grand final mm-hmm. and Big Big Sound became the biggest song yep. in Australia? My dad wrote an alternative song for GWS. Mm. He was working Mm -hmm. in a sort of, I think he had some sponsorship wrapped up with him at the time when he was living in Western Sydney when they started. He wrote an alternative song which came runner-up to Big Big Sound. Wow. What a claim to fame wow. that is! I, my dad had what? the song that came running up. The, he, he wrote he wrote a, he wrote a tune to the to, he wrote a, he wrote lyrics to the to the tune of the road to Gundagai, which in a way is quite clever when you think about it. The road to Gundagai, mm-hmm. as it is when you sort of uh, you know out, out. between Canberra and Sydney. Yeah, there's some there's some inherent logic in in using that song, and it was quite clever. Yep. But yeah, it, it came running up to who was it again? It was the the chap Harry from, from the Cat Empire. Cat Empire. Yeah. I mean, I think yep. Dad would acknowledge that the right song won. <laughs> Still. Yeah, the, the superior musician <laughs> held the day. <laughs> it was yeah, it was all over when they when they questioned your dad and discovered he'd never stayed to the end of a football match before because he wanted to beat the traffic. They're like, this doesn't sound like a true fan to us. Harry Angus, he stays to the end of the, of the game. Okay, <laughs> so. This is this is all coming together beautifully. Every time you said my dad, all I could think was my dad picks the fruit that goes to Cotty's to make Makes the cordial, cordial that I like best. Um, speaking advertising of advertising works, <laughs> jingles that get stuck in your head forever. Okay, so this is Richard L's letter on the way to not that Tim mentions number. So so bear with us. Richard says, for kids who grew up of a certain age, it's pretty much a given that if you sing the first three lines, they remember the phone number, even if they might not remember today's date. I'm not sure if this Facebook link works, but this is a photo of Claire Cummings, who played Milky, who once, quite drunk, tried to pick up my mum at a Twin Pines Christmas party. (laughs) And the photo is of Milky in a truck with the slogan on it. Now, I did click on this, Adam. And look, this may not, this probably isn't a thing I want to share with the broad podcast audience because I'm sure it will come back to bite me, but I'm not a big fan of clowns. You know, I found find clowns unsettling. And Milky <laughs> is a fucking clown, like a, 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 a legitimate clown, looks not like, an insult um, clown. Looks like, uh, I've clicked on it too. Looks like Zig and or Zag. Yeah, which neither of whom you want anywhere near your kids. No, one of them. Um, no, one of them. One of them was fine. It was the other. One, one. of them was fine, but you're just not sure which one. So you like <laughs> just for the sake of safety, you want to make sure that you don't invite either of them. So, yeah, a s- extremely freaky clown with an entirely white face and an entirely white outfit and a big white conical hat. All white. It's an absolute horror show. You can imagine Milky trying to climb in through the kitchen window at night. You hear something crash down in the kitchen. Oh, God, Milky's downstairs. Milky's downstairs. You know, everybody out the window onto the roof. Like, is it, this, is, this is horror show material. And so then we find that the actor behind Milky 
tried to pick up Richard's mum at the Twin Pines Christmas party. This is, you can't make this stuff up. This is absolute gold. And this is before we even get to the number. So we come back to Tim for 1162. And Tim's clue was that this nerd pledge is in line with previous pledges being a final word issues number. Previous pledges involved the front foot no ball and Clary Grimmett. Bless you, Tim. 41162, it's a cricket number which does refer to a certain player but isn't a statistical analysis. It has two dots in it but they're not decimal points. And I was, I'm, I'm kicking myself now that I didn't get this, but I was, I couldn't get my head around this thing that there were dots in the number, but it was, it was one number. And so I was messaging back and forth with Tim a bit, going, you know, the, help me get the conceptual framework here. And Tim said, look between Northumberland Avenue and Bow Street. And I was like, that's a Monopoly reference. And Tim was like, just Google a Monopoly ah. board. And I was like, I will not Google a Monopoly board. I have pride. And then I realised there was a Monopoly set in my new house. I was like, someone has Monopoly. So I got to go and dig the board out. And between those two streets is Marlebone Station. Ah, the Marlebone Cricket Club, the MCC, Law 41.16.2. Oh, I feel how did we not get this before oh. i know i know i'm Fuck. i'm pretty, pretty <laughs> i was looking at this here. like two weeks ago continue yeah. please that law reads as as long-time listeners of the show will probably guess if the ball is not delivered and there is an appeal the umpire shall make his or her decision on the run out if it is not out he or she shall call and signal dead ball the ball shall not count as one in the over that comes under the section of if the non-striker leaves their ground early the law most dear to our hearts on the final word. Bless you, not that Tim Minchin. Bless you, Richard L. No blessings for Milky, you absolute freak show. Stay away from me. And uh, blessings to all who wrote the Cotty's Cordial jingle and to Adam's dad and to Harry Angus and all <laughs> who've been part of this story as we work towards Law 41 16 2. Good on you, not the Tim mentioned. Uh, well played to you. Uh, blessings to you. No blessings, I should say, to Zig from Zig and Zag. It was Zig in question, not Zag. Okay. I just want to right. be really clear about that before we move on. Yeah. Don't want to get myself sued. Right, 596 uh, is our next revisit. Uh, it was from Pete. We said, uh, Jeff said, optimistically it must be noted, uh, that it was the aggregate in a test match between Sri Lanka and the West Indies in, in 2001. That was a good guess. It, it, look, I, I just said it was optimistic. I'm not saying it wasn't good. Mm. Good story, well told, well explained. But, mm. Mm. Um, yes, it, it, it wasn't right. And we have a clue here from Pete. Yes, uh, who, who did confirm it wasn't correct, sadly. What a series Brian Lara had, Pete said. The non-traditional venue at which my pledge occurred, says Pete, is a stadium you have both broadcast from, although you weren't there for this pledge and neither was I, but thanks to the wonders of UK free-to-air TV, I did see some of this marathon effort in the field. Are we going to Sheikh Zayed Stadium? Is that what's happening? We're going to one or the other. The, the truth of the matter is I can't remember whether this has happened at Sheikh Zayed Stadium or Dubai Sport City. One of the two. One mm. of the two. Speaking of jingles. <laughs> Keep Dubai your eyes open for a bargain. Dubai Sports, Sports City. City. <laughs> um, back to White Line Wireless days there. Right. So, yes, this didn't take me long to work out. So, um, earlier this year, uh, Zimbabwe uh, played Afghanistan in two test matches in the UAE, which is the sort of default home venue for any um, team that hasn't got a home ground that's usable, and that's the case for Afghanistan mm -hmm. for the time being. And 596 is the number of deliveries Rashid Khan bowled in that second oh, test yes. match. 
it's a crazy test when you look back at it. Afghanistan make 545 for four declared in the first innings of the match, double ton in there. And Zimbabwe respond all out in 287, albeit a fairly gritty 287. Rashid takes four for 138 from 36.3 overs the first time around. Then they enforce the follow-on, which, I mean, I love. Mm. Uh, you know, I love the idea they enforce the follow-on, having bowled a lot of overs in the first innings. But it took I like them- to think they just did it because they hadn't had the chance to do it before and they wanted to take it out for a yes. spin. <laughs> you know? It was like, who knows when the next opportunity might be? Yeah. Let's just have a go. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But in the second innings, they had to bowl 148.5 overs uh, to eventually bowl out Zimbabwe for 365. Uh, in that second innings, Rashid bowled 62.5 overs, 17 maidens, 7 for 127, making match figures of mm. 11 for 265 from 99.2 overs. So had he bowled four more deliveries, of course it would have been 600 balls and exactly mm. 100 overs, but unfortunately he fell just short of that. I'm sure he did not think it was unfortunate. I'm sure he no. was very relieved. Yeah, to I, there was also that analysis that pointed out that he bowled more overs in that match than he bowled in the entire IPL beforehand. <laughs> I think it might have been the entirety of his IPL career, full stop. It might have been gone uh, one, step, one step further. It was the most bowled by uh, anybody in the 21st century, uh, the most since Morley sent down 680 three balls at the Oval in 1998 in that famous victory for Sri Lanka over England where Murali took Jeff was it 16 wickets 15 wickets something like that in yeah, the test match 16. Uh, Afghanistan won uh, they chased down the 108 they needed in the final innings uh, they got their just four wickets down and yeah they bounced back well considering uh, they'd lost the first test in two days by 10 wickets to Zimbabwe albeit uh, when they were playing without Rashid who was yet to arrive from wherever he was mm. before that whichever T20 comp he was playing in uh, during the first test match and the, the free to wear reference is because uh, Pete would have been watching it on channel 64 I think it is which is uh, free sports who uh, Jeff we had on the final word at the time to talk about their their investment in uh, Afghanistan and Zimbabwe cricket, which continues, I think, for the next two years. So a few threads uh, from the show for us in 2021, uh, as it was for Rashid Khan, who bowled 596 balls in that win over Zimbabwe. Not on the cooking channel, the Afghanistan Zimbabwe no, test. That's funny when you think about it. On the cooking channel is India Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe Free Sports could have uh, could have done us a solid and, and picked up uh, that as well. Anyway, not to be. <laughs> Probably a bit more expensive, I'd imagine. Uh, Rory Seymour, who had also had four eleven, the same number as not that Tim mentioned, but uh, for a different reason. Adam had an answer about Arthur Shrewsbury's batting average, a very early turn of last century batsman, uh, which Rory Seymour enjoyed the story and then teased us by saying, I can confirm that's not the correct answer. Um, Thank you, Rory. When I described my latest pledge as niche, I forgot quite how niche it can get on Nerd Pledge. So, the clue refers to a topic that Adam has briefly mentioned a couple of times on the show before and there was a clue in there about Dwayne Leverock uh, and about Jared Kimber which I thought might have something to do with their former careers involving the automotive industry in one way or another. But Rory came back to say, that's not it. It was more like, what's Dwayne Leverock most commonly associated with? And then how does that relate to something that Jared did in a podcast? But before I get to that... Wasn't it too with my career as well? It was your your previous career. Right, okay. Uh, Dwayne Leverock and Jared Kimber. Okay. were the three options. But before we get there, I just want to get to a little bit of correspondence from Chris Arkell about Arthur Shrewsbury. Now, if you thought the last answer was meandering, <laughs> just wait till we go through this. 
Chris says, sadly, I was looking at the history of League Before Wicket a few weeks ago. And before the change of rules in the 1930s, the ball had to pitch wicket to wicket. Arthur Shrewsbury was the first prominent player to use his pad as a defensive uh, tool, and he was criticised for it. I'm not sure if you're aware that he was the subject of Help My House Is Haunted, which is a television show about a house in Gedling in Nottinghamshire. So I I looked up this episode. I haven't had time to watch the full app yet, but... um, this was the description. Uh, two residents, Lizzie and Jeff, it's not me, I did not move into this house with Arthur Shrewsbury's ghost, but they moved into a house, they, they had a spacious home and then strange things hard, started happening. Uh, pairs of spectacles being smashed on a carpeted floor, objects falling out of cupboards at night. A young relative said she saw a monster and they hear footsteps when the rest of the house is empty. Their daughter Stephanie did some online research and discovered that Victorian cricketing legend, that's the era, not the state, Arthur Shrewsbury shot himself in the guest bedroom while visiting his sister. Is Arthur there hoping to cross over? And he may well be, because when I looked up the Arthur story, he did have a bit of trouble finishing the job. He he convinced himself that he was mm. he had some mortal illness, although doctors couldn't find anything wrong with him. Then he went and bought a gun, a revolver from a gunsmith, and then he had to bring it back because he said the bullets weren't working and the gunsmith told him that he had the wrong calibre bullets and that they didn't fit, so he had to get new bullets. And then he shot himself, but it didn't work. And then he had to shoot himself again in order for it to work. It's all fairly grim stuff, but he managed to complete the job eventually. And it was in this house in Nottinghamshire. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It was to do with the fact that his career had come to a close and he sort of talked himself into this belief that the reason he couldn't keep playing was this illness that no mm. one could really establish as being like potentially even a thing. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously he was a fairly unwell man, as evidenced by the way that he uh, tragically died. Yeah, and I would imagine that, you know, medical care wasn't that crash hot back then. There are plenty of instances these days of people not being believed about the illnesses that they actually have. Usually they're women much more often, but uh, you wouldn't think it would be impossible that back then he did have something wrong with him that they couldn't track down what the cause was medically as well. Anyway... This all happened and then this episode of this TV show was made with three mediums and ghost hunters going into this house (laughs) and trying to work out if Arthur Shrewsbury was still haunting the joint. So I'm sure you can find it online, but that is all not relevant to the answer to the question. Bermuda, Adam's previous career, Jared Kimber, Adam's previous career is politics. And Rory mentioned something that Adam had mentioned something on the show that I vaguely remembered. Hang on, there was, you do bring up the West Wing quite a bit. And then I went, hang on, hang on, Bermuda, Dwayne Leverock, Bermuda, there's the famous scene in the West Wing where there is a cricket match in Bermuda. Bermuda and Scotland. Yes. And then I remembered that Kimber did the whole episode about Aaron Sorkin writing about cricket in not just the West Wing, but many of his shows, there are scenes where he talks about cricket, mostly about Americans not understanding cricket. So it's definitely about that. How it relates to 411... I'm not entirely sure. It is definitely related to that West Wing ep in which the president says, um, I I either have to watch this sport or I have to watch a cricket match between Bermuda and Scotland. Um, At a time when Bermuda and Scotland had only played once, as per Jared Kimber. Isn't there a second Bermuda reference? There is another one in another one of the shows. Maybe it's the newsroom or something no, like this, that. No, this this is another reference in the West Wing. I, I reckon. Mm-hmm. I reckon there's another reference. I think that is where the plane lands in order to facilitate mm-hmm. the CIA 
assassination of a character who I can't remember the name. Oh of anymore. yeah, I think they land on an airstrip in Bermuda, which is where Danny Concanon, the journalist, develops a contact with someone who was playing a cricket game nearby. And I think that a guy who works at the airport who left his cricket bat at work Boom. and went to get it, and then when he got there, he wasn't allowed inside because there were a bunch of Americans at the place. And so thus, uh, you know, thus he worked out what was going on. And as Jared pointed out, who just leaves their cricket bat behind? And why would you take your cricket bat to work and then leave it in your locker? Why didn't you have the rest of his kit there? Like, why wasn't it in his kit bag? Um, all of which are valid points, I think. How does this relate to 411? I was pretty unsure about this until I looked up on YouTube what is the scene in which they talk about Scotland and Bermuda in the West Wing. And guess what? There's a clip of that prominently that has 411,000 views <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. That's My only other guess is that in 2005, Bermuda played Scotland in a 50-over game. Uh, the Scots set off after the target of 219. At first drop, the redoubtable Ryan Robert Watson, just one name away from greatness, who made seven from 17 balls. The strike rate for that innings was 41.1. I was going to say, so the only other thought I had then, which I looked up possibly, is at West Wing episode, season four, episode 11, when it becomes no. apparent what happened. But no, that's Holy Night. That's the um, yep. the Toby backstory with uh, Richard Schiff giving this like amazing performance um, when his dad mm-hmm. uh, shows up on on the uh, at the White House. His felon dad shows up at the White House. So it won't be that, but uh, that was a nice tour. Thanks for that, Jeff. That yep. was fun. Maybe it's time for another West Wing rewatch at some stage. Yes, that episode was season one, episode 22, mm. so that's got nothing to do with these numbers. So, but that's the end of our revisits. Let's get into the confirmations. Jack Jorgensen says uh, his 101 was indeed Jacob Oram's great night at the Wacker. Jack says, I remember sweltering through the Aussie innings in the cheap seats at the Concrete Bowl, a viewing experience that I don't miss. The Aussie innings was described as clinical. We thought it was game over and then Oram came in. The way you described the innings was spot on. It's out of time. A one-day memory I'll have forever. Thank you, Jack. Uh, from Josh, he confirmed that his 257 was or were the, the figures of Trevor Chappell in the underarm game. Uh, Lachlan Smith confirmed that his 329 was the partnership between Jeff Marsh and Mark Taylor at Trent Bridge in 1989. Uh, Lachlan goes on to say that partnership blew his mind. I couldn't believe you could bowl for that long and not take a wicket. Not that I was feeling sorry for the English. And to win that series so easily was fab as well. Uh, I've been hooked on cricket ever since. So uh, thank you, Lachlan. Now, the... 408 from Brendan Crabb, which I stuffed up again because I put the wrong number in and we did 450 <laughs> and somehow Adam still got the answer right. It, um, it was it, still right because 450 was Heath Streak made 45 and we, we assume therefore yes. it must have been... His, his batting contribution, so, yeah. but he also took four for eight. So yes. somehow, miraculously, even though I typoed the number, we got it right <laughs> uh, in terms of it was about Heath Streak's performance when Zimbabwe bowled out the West Indies for nothing in a... Uh, neutral tri-series match in Australia in 2001. Brendan says, he and his friend, both 17 at the time, made a last-minute decision to get the train from the Southern Highlands to attend the game, convinced the employee at the ticket counter that we were under 16 and could buy cheaper tickets 
and then convinced the employees at the bar that they were over 18 and managed to buy rounds of beer with no ID. <laughs> so they had the best possible day on all fronts and uh, he remembers it for saying, well, at least we'll get to see Lara bat, which lasted for about seven balls. Thanks to Brian Strang uh, for knocking over Lara there. Good on you, Brendan Crabb. He's been fun to talk to about that number. Peter Roberts, 543. Jeff nominated good Dr. Rudy from Namibia, uh, who played in the 2003 World Cup, both in cricket and in rugby. Uh, a confirmation here. You're spot on about Dr. Rudy. Uh, kudos to Jeff for coming across as very knowledgeable about a sport that can't be very close to his heart. I assume by that he means rugby. Your comments on the I, gr- don't, I don't mind a you know I don't mind a cheeky. Didn't spot you cover? Didn't you get a? Didn't you get a junket to the 2011 Rugby World Cup or something like that? Isn't there yeah, some? Yeah. Isn't there some story where if you got to write a match report and you were horrendously drunk and you? Like, isn't there some? Oh, there are a lot of Jeff stories Lemon like tale that. Where you you know on and you break a, a bone or something and there, there's a whole was, elaborate. It was my first professional sporting trip. Was covering rugby, not covering cricket. Yeah, the 2011 <laughs> Rugby World Cup. It was a. Some like Qantas sponsored thing, and I was writing for a website, and they wanted someone to go, and I was like, I don't know anything about rugby, and they were like, Yeah, but you're funnier than our other writers, so we're going to send you instead. Yeah, I, I broke my shoulder crashing a dirt bike, and watched the Rugby World Cup final on an extremely heady mix of painkillers and <laughs> sponsor Heineken's, um, and, and had had quite the time. But stories of that for another time. He says, Peter, this is uh, your comments on the good doctor's possible Tinder profile reminded me of the perhaps apocryphal story of the guy who led his profile by noting that his comments had made the Crick Info live commentary on multiple occasions. (laughs) He'll have to up his game. Imagine that. Imagine the first line of your Tinder profile is, Mm. I've been mentioned on the Crick Info live commentary on multiple occasions. I mean, form an orderly queue. Yeah, text me back. Andrew Miller does. (laughs) (laughs) It's Matt Roller time. <laughs> roller, 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 roller. Keep roller, roller, roller. I love that his nickname in Crick Info is Heavy. Oh, yeah. Very good. Makes Very me happy. Good. Hello, Heavy. He's probably listening. Will Sandy Sandford, we were talking about the bowling of Ranji Horden back in the early 1900s. Uh, Will says that 556 referred to the first innings of Australia-India at the Adelaide Oval in 2003. What a test match that was. He put the pledge in just after day three at Adelaide last year when India got cleaned up for 36 and he was thinking of uh, that that epic test match in which Australia made 556 and India made 500 plus, the double hundreds from Dravid and Ponting and then uh, Ajit Agurka with his... Uh, Crucial intervention is six for 43, I think he took um, without looking it up, and says that he firmly believes that Simon Kadic should be our next test spinner. That's the kind of campaign you would have got behind at the time. <laughs> I saw Kat yesterday, actually, just before we were going to uh, interview Claire Connor. Um, they were staying at the same, at the same hotel, so I, I, I ran into Kat. Uh, as he was preparing for tonight's um, men's hundred opener, he's the coach of the Oval. No, uh, of the um, oh Christ, I should remember the names by now. The Manchester Originals, and they're playing against mm-hmm. the Oval Invincibles. That's going to take me a while, but um, <laughs> yes, it was it was nice to run into him, albeit at a safe distance, given they're 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 uh, operating um, in in safe living conditions while they're over here. I wonder whether everybody who's involved with the hundred will be able to stay off. Uh, to stay off the apps and keep keep bat and pad close together in safe mm. living, time will tell. Mm. Yeah, did you know I've been on the Crick Info ball-by-ball ball commentary? <laughs> 
And uh, the confirmation from Aranda Jaya Vikrama, the 770, uh, which was the combination of Greg Matthews' wickets and runs in Colombo in 1992. It's good to remember how solid some of the Sri Lanka players were, says Aranda, like Asanka Gurusina, as well as the fact that other players with so much talent massively underperformed, like a young Aravinda and Roshan Mahanama. Also, the umpiring quality was quite abysmal, says Aranda, having watched back some of the highlights on YouTube. Uh, good times when the umpiring could be truly shocking and nothing could be done about it. Yeah, I think I think Gurusina ended up moving to Melbourne, I'm pretty sure, after he finished his international career. He was a fine player uh, at number three. I remember, I think his old boy fell into his box, didn't that, when his box got split open um, in the test match in uh, in 95-96 David Lloyd style but yes he, uh, putting that to one side that mm. probably wasn't the highlight of his career um, he probably it, wishes it, he had put it, it to one side one, one of these things that did happen but no I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident he ended up uh, in on the Melbourne club circuit when he, when he finished up playing for Sri Lanka <laughs> They're the like stories you come from. Get they're, back they're, on they're, the circuit. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the facts you, you, you come and stay deep into story time for. Mm, yep, yep, the things you find out. Right, um, that's the revisits. Bannerman-adjacent activity. Now, this story was sent to us by Brian Stratford and by Andrew Beach about a Craigar Cricket Club in Ireland, a, a match in which uh, one team needed 35 runs from the final over and got there with yes. six sixes from the last over of a match. A, a An unusual feat. I, I, maybe we can't say unprecedented, but it, it wouldn't have happened many times before. No, and look, a lot of people have done this now. When I first popped this into the notes like a week ago or so, um, it hadn't received much coverage. I think everybody has reported on this now, but mm. a chap by the name of John Glass hit six sixes to win the T20 mm. trophy for uh, Ballymena uh, last week. We had a note here from Brian Stratford who said that Craigar is the closest cricket club to where he lives, about a 10-minute walk. But unfortunately, he didn't witness this. But from what he'd heard, uh, the bowler basically pulled the same ball on a good length on the stump six times in a row. And in each instance, the lad swept him for six. <laughs> Poor bastard. I've also heard that they scored 20-odd from the penultimate over as well. So quite the finale there in the T20 final. Thanks to Brian and Andrew for sending it in. We complete the show, as always, with a bit of correspondence. Uh, the first note we got uh, this week, Jeff, for reading out, was from Pat Rogers, an old friend. Yes, he said he enjoyed the Percy Jeeves tale, uh, says Pat, as I've just finished reading his superb biography by Brian Helford, the real Jeeves, the cricketer who gave his life for his country and his name to a legend. Brian has accessed the regimental documents and been able to place Jeeves on the Western Front up to and including his death. Huh. Why I was reading it, says Pat, will be revealed next week. Hmm. <laughs> also good to hear of Randy Horden, who I wrote about in the Night Watchman 32 in the article on dentists who have played cricket for Australia. <laughs> Bless you, Pat. He's an absolute ripper, Pat Rogers. I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Uh, Richard Clark dropped us a line. I would call him our Glenn Turner slash... Uh, Worcestershire County Cricket Club correspondent. Uh, so therefore, he enjoyed our most recent story time because we were talking about WG Grace uh, having the magnum of champagne delivered to him after making his 100th 100. And that's exactly what happened when Glenn Turner reached his 100th century uh, in 1982. Uh, the twist, he says, was that the champagne was brought out by Billy Abadulla in a full waiter's regalia. <laughs> Abadulla was on Warwick's staff, but 10 years earlier had been the prime mover in bringing Turner to England and getting him to trial at Edgbaston. I don't recall the Warwickshire players sharing a drink, though. 
<laughs> Pretty sure it was a regulation uh, silver salver, only room for a bottle and two glasses. If Ebedala was secretly hoping to get him pissed, it didn't work. And Turner went on to make 311 not out. So that ties in nicely, doesn't it? Because Grace uh, made 288 uh, the day that he made his 100th 100. And the same happened with Graham Hick uh, when he reached his milestone at New Road, another Worcestershire player uh, in 2011. They also brought out a bottle of champagne for him. So we should be so lucky, Jeff, to see another player reach 100 centuries. I doubt it'll happen, but at least there was Mm -hmm. uh, that tradition for the 25 that did it, starting with the very first WG. Right. Last piece of correspondence. We said we wanted to set up the Discord and have the chat because we wanted uh, to help hot final word singles meet in their areas. You know, this is this is our ultimate aim is for is for love to blossom in the glowing sunshine of the final word. Well, we have a story that's that's not it's not quite there, but it's it's not a million miles away. This is from John O'Halen, our Jody Hicks correspondent, who says after listening to story time the other week, felt the need to reach out. As I can vouch for the success of cricket bringing two people together. Day two of the fifth Ashes test at the SCG 2014, six in the morning, hundreds of members lining up behind the noble stand for the 7am sprint to get a seat, writes Jono. I was 29 and eligible for the smokers 11. And as a result, I had to go off to the cage. My life changed for the best as the only other smoker was a woman named Phoebe. We immediately clicked. In the time it took to consume a cigarette, we had exchanged numbers. Uh, did you tell her that you were quoted on the Crick Info live commentary, John? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, after many texts during the day, we met up for a beer at tea. Love was blossoming at the SCG. Just before we met on day three, I felt butterflies. God, I, was I, was Ryan I was wondering where that was going for a while there. I mean, when I first read that, I said we had a drink at tea. Love was blossoming at the SCG. I was wondering where it was going to go. What did you get up to in the final session and where did it happen inside the SCG? Um, that's more an Adelaide members trick, isn't it? Uh, but thankfully, they're, they're more, um, more reserved, uh, these two. Please continue. <laughs> Just before we met on day three, writes Jono, I felt butterflies as Ryan Harris destroyed the bat of Michael Carberry. <laughs> It was quite a sexy moment, I've got to say. Sexy Ryan Harris moment. We began our journey together, which included us both quitting smoking and I could not have been happier. Phoebe also instantly connected with my then seven-year-old son, Lewis. We got married in 2019 with 14-year-old Lewis as my best man. That's cute. Yes. As we travelled through Europe afterwards, many of our evenings before going out were spent by having a drink in our room and enjoying the final word World Cup daily shows. Yes. Still getting the chance to experience the tournament without watching it as our days were busy discovering new cities. Uh, I mean, this is beautiful. I'm glad you were listening to it before going out and not like there's the sort of last bit of, you know, sexy time build up when you got back. Um, I think that's I think it's better that way. John O finishes by saying, if possible, with true, I'll put on the correct voice with true, a love song dedication vibes. May I request part of the song Stories by Earthboy to be played as a shout out to my wife, Phoebe Halen, at the end of an episode. It's truly fitting as we have been to about six Earthboy gigs together. Oh. Phoebe, you're the most wonderful partner to me and the most amazing mother figure to Lewis. You're very much loved. That's beautiful, John O. It's it's and perfect. Yes. It, it it is spot on. Thank you, John. I mean, 
Yeah, you've dropped us a lot of lines uh, about Jody Hicks, but this is your most impressive effort yet, <laughs> I must say. And I like the Earth Boy link as well. I had another. I, I reckon we get at least one message a week asking about our theme music, and as always, mm-hmm. we're grateful to Earth Boy uh, for letting us have it. But the fact that this song has brought uh, Phoebe and Jono yet closer together, uh, yeah, it, it's nice to know that this community, as we said earlier on when discussing Discord, uh, can you know have the effect of bringing people together in life, and I like that. And what it means, Jono, is that we can play you the whole song. It doesn't have to be part of the song. We, yes. Earth Boy's happy for us to use it. We can we can play all of it at the end, and we will in just a second because this is the end of Storytime. Thanks to everybody on Patreon who makes the Storytime show happen by sending us in numbers, patreon.com slash the final word. If you want to send some in, thanks to Brick Lane and to Woodstock Cricket as well. This show is on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. It's edited by Dave Collins, I'm Jeff Lemon. The other one's Adam Collins. Uh, that's all we have to do. Yes, who knows? I might be going off to collect my daughter in a moment and watching her walk for the first time, which is pretty cool. I am feeling Olympic. All right, Olympic times, Earthboy times. This is stories, and we're out. Have a nice weekend. When I get to you, no, I won't forget what it took and takes. About a book and breaks, about a crate and limb, about a state I'm in, about a skin of my teeth, took it on the chin. I was out for it, yeah, more than no. I was down for the cause, and you ought to know. Spent all day on that at work, and then bored at home. Something like an addiction, never fought it, though. Got a debt to the stars, debt to the gutter, and a debt to the bars. Debt for the wisdom that I would disguise. I would do it in the future as I have in the past. All of it has scarred me, but I'm still here through the imperfections that interfered. Feeling like a thief, stole a whole career. Wanna know? Let me lend you. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall just for what I did well. And there's some stories I can tell you. Don't get it twisted, though. I don't wanna blink and then miss its glow. Get choked and say by the same rope. By the time you hear this, you already know your future may. Nothing you can do for me. Sorry, you were not what you used to be. Whatever you got's news to me. What I handed you wasn't handled beautifully, but it's done. Tainted blood cells and bad ankles. I did damage, it was substantial. The body's a temple, but I'm a vandal that could not live life at a standstill. I'm unapologetic of my path. But by the time you're me, it's all of your past. Hope you remember this when you're falling apart. If not, I wrote down a few remarks. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you.
bet it all on the vocal cords Reassure the in-laws, the allure, the girls in safe hands We're making great plans that we will make sense one day Maybe when I'm grey, this campaign to old age Someone get that granddad down off stage, hey kids Your gramps never drank Kool-Aid in his own time Did it with a few failed grades, but what? What's the story? Better the redemption What's the quandary? Better the retention I ain't breezing and I ain't George Benson I ain't protected by the right ain't fenced And if my future questions my current senses That'll be the same we've been doing for centuries Sorry if I ran out to empty wrote this So you know what I meant here I had to go about it, write it out 